at the Olympics, I managed to find both to perform and to be happy and to realise what is the point of doing all of this unless I'm enjoying it and being happy. Being a leader, I'm forever trying to take those kind of moments and those light bulb moments. It's really important, especially right now, to get inspiration from lots of different places. Hello and welcome to the Track Record Podcast. Each and every episode we are asking world-leading performers in sport and business, what does it take to win? And this week we've got a couple of excellent world-leading performers in their own field. So, Catherine, who have we got? So we have Louise O'Shea, who is the CEO at Confuse.com. Before she became a CEO at 37, Louise had just given birth to a baby girl um, eight weeks before, which is an incredible feat (laughs) in itself. Um, And she's really passionate about helping women in leadership, particularly about getting more girls into tech um, and also writing the imbalance of power between customers and industries. And Louise was recently named as a standout 35 senior leader in Innovate Finance's Power List. Excellent. Very exciting. Looking forward to hearing more. Um, We've also got Amy Williams, MBE uh, and Olympic champion, entrepreneur, business owner um, and TV presenter. Uh, Amy won gold medal uh, uh, at the Olympics uh, in 2010 for the skeleton. Uh, If you've ever seen it, it is the most dramatic uh, sport you can possibly imagine. Looking forward to hearing more about that. But also she is now um, owning uh, and running her own business, amywilliamspt.com, transforming her clients to become fitter, stronger, healthier, more confident versions of themselves. So we very much welcome you here. Delighted to have you on board. So we were both struck when we were speaking to you both um, in preparation for this podcast by just quite the, the fact that you guys have not trodden the usual path. You have found your own way to become successful. And we would love to hear about you know, some of those challenges, some of the adversity that you've overcome. But crucially, like, what have you learned from it? So Amy, I'll, I'll throw it to you to begin with. Oh, yeah. Hi, guys. Um, I'm in awe of Louise um, from what you've just said there as well. So I'm um, an honour to be uh, talking to you and I can't wait to listen to, to your questions um, and answers. Uh, yeah, so I guess for me, skeleton is just such an unusual sport. So um, it it's... It's a crazy one because we don't have an ice track in Great Britain. We don't have the, the conditions, the track, that kind of um, environment in which you're actually meant to, to slide and do the sport. Uh, so even getting into the sport is a little bit different. Most of us come from a power speed background and have shifted, you know, have transitioned across. So I guess that's the first sort of slightly different, unusual um, aspect. And I, I think for me... It was about trying something new. I mean, I didn't know what the sport was. I just kind of went for it all in. It was sort of all in or nothing, realizing, hang on a minute, this is a very unique sport that we, we have to spend 50% of our of our year away, you know, living out of a suitcase in order to be good. And I think almost the toughness of that and within Great Britain, knowing almost a lot is stacked against you from day one, maybe just builds this extra toughness inside of you, Mm. like straight away. Uh, Yeah, so I reckon um, it's kind of inbuilt with you once you've almost started that sport. Yeah, and and what what have you taken from that? So it's clear that you had a certain skill set 
you saw an opportunity that was um, this kind of strange, different sport. Uh, you know, UK has not had a huge history in this sport, and yet you were able to kind of find the opportunity. What was that spark, and how have you kind of used that spark now? Yeah, um, I think that spark is like, yeah, that, that fire within. And I, I think even from a young age, it's not that I was a really competitive child. I've got a twin sister, a, a brother that's only 18 months older. I wasn't competitive with them, but it was that uh, drive to always want to be as good as I feel like I could be. And I didn't want to stop until I felt like I'd, I'd given my all. And I think... Um, yeah, skeleton, once you're out there, um, missing out on the Turin Olympics in 2006 really popped that, that spark, that fire in my belly of like, okay, every day now for four years, every decision of every day is going to be yes or no. Is this going to help me win a, a medal or just help me get to go to an Olympics? Yes or no. And that was the decision. It was kind of really black and white decisions of everything from the food I ate to, you know, what time do I go to bed to, you know, your preparation to your training. And I think because of that, it was sort of the blinkers were on and life almost was quite simple because it was like, yep, yeah, no, this is going to help me. This chocolate cake's not going to help me. I won't eat it yeah, then. Yeah. You know, and it was kind of, that's the way I, I lived my life for four years until I knew my feet were on that start line. Yeah. Um, how about you, Louise? How did you end up where you are? What, what created the path to get there? Well, a lot of what Amy just said about having uh, an ambition to do something that others couldn't do and that kind of drive for me. So it kind of comes from a a need not to kind of conform. And if there was ever anything that someone said that's impossible, I would be like at the front of the queue to give that a try. <laughs> Though I have never tried um, skeleton. Um, it sounds terrifying, looks terrifying, sounds terrifying. <laughs> And uh, maybe, maybe one day, Amy, you'll show me how to do it. So looking forward I to time. <laughs> <laughs> looking forward to hearing a lot more about it. I'm, I'm, yeah. So for me, I've always tried to kind of put myself out, push myself out of my comfort zone and do new things. So that was all throughout my childhood as well. From the fact that as a teenager, I would go and play chess, which is not the kind of thing that a teenage girl yeah. would traditionally go and do. To, uh, I was 17 and I travelled to Japan by myself. I was a young girl uh, in my first job and uh, I found out about a, a, a client in the Sudan and I said, I really want to go and do that because uh, they were saying we would never send a man there. So I was the first one to say, come on, why not? And so I've always looked for those opportunities that uh, on the face of it, people should you know, women like, or myself it's it's a big challenge for them to do so it sounds there's a lot of similarity there to kind yeah. of say skeleton sounds like the, the toughest sport you'd ever imagine uh, but why let that hold us back and um as a i guess a, a, a i get a sense of that being a female in a very male dominant world was my background as in in sport um how much do you think you've adapted or used that to influence your drive you through that experience you mentioned it a couple of times there and and I'm really interested to know like sometimes if I guess women feel like they need to dial down the feminine aspects when they step into that environment and then maybe recognize that some of that's really advantageous and then it gets dialed up later in careers is a pattern we see is that your experience and how have you played that that part of of the role I think that's a really good question. For, for me, I actually, it comes from when I was born because my dad 
already had three daughters when I came along. And for the first 30 seconds of my life, he thought I was a boy. And he called me Simon. And he was so happy. And then he found out Simon was missing something that Simon really needed to be a Simon. And the disappointment was from that moment with my father. And I think that for me is the driver to say, hang on a minute, even though I'm a girl, I can do just as well, if not better than the boys. And that's where that came from. In terms of taking that into my career, I never consciously kind of changed my approach. I, I hear what you're saying. And, you know, I've, I've heard of women do that where they dial down who they are and they try and be something maybe more aggressive or, or, or the image of what they think is a leader. Whether I've just been incredibly stubborn or, or, or true to myself, I don't know what the answer is. But, but no, I've never, I've never felt that I've changed my way to be more masculine. I don't know if, Amy, it's different in sport. Yeah, no, I think, um, you know, whenever I've done any of these like personality tests, people presume I'm, um, you know, when you do these sort of colours and you can be a red, a green, a blue, a yellow, people presume I'm that kind of red person, the aggression, the the leader, the, the top of the pack. And I'm actually totally the opposite. I'm like your little green sensitive soul who, you know, before my Olympic medal would never have spoken to anyone that I didn't know. You know, I'm at the edge of the party. I'm not the one at the front. I would never speak in front of people people so no naturally my personality is really like sensitive and shy and um it's only in the last years that I've kind of grown out of that or or had to learn to become um a bit more outspoken and I guess not aggressive but you know that kind of typical male behavior I guess Mm -hmm. and and I'm struck with both of you that the opportunities you know going places that others just either haven't you know, seen the opportunity or they have seen the opportunity, just simply haven't been willing to kind of take that step. And for you both, like, what was it that gave you presumably the confidence to, to take that step, to be able to explore that, that new area, that, that, you know, new country uh, for you, Louise? What, what was it, do you think, that gave you that confidence? And, and is that still something that, that you carry now? It absolutely is something I still carry now. Where did it come from? is a really hard one to answer actually because you know, I, I genuinely believe I was it's part of me it's part of my personality and I was born with it but then you'd also have to look at the environment I grew up in and my parents were always very supportive and you know, were were happy to kind of push me but also happy to let me be who who I was so I can't really separate those two things because from such an early age I was going off and doing things that that others would look at at the time I didn't recognize as being um, non-conformist or pushing myself out of my comfort zone I didn't consciously do it. I just did what I wanted to do obviously it's only when I get older that I look at things and go like the moment that I decide yes I will be a CEO when I've got a little girl in my arms yeah I will make that very conscious decision which others might not uh, might decide actually no I'm not going to push myself like that Amy mentioned her like missing out on a medal which is a common in sport a common kind of catalyst often for people deciding either it's not for them or they want it so badly they're going to go again have you had any moments like that Louise in your career where you've had to really just pause and go is this what I want to be doing is this am I super clear on the next step and I'm going to double down on this I think it's it's really good a really good point I've had moments where I have 
recognised I was on a path and I've looked ahead and actually gone, you know what? I'm on this path and I can do it, but do I really want to get to the destination point? And I've gone, actually, no, I don't. And then I've I've made the conscious decision to say, I'm going to get off this route and I'm going to go somewhere else. And I think that's a really important thing that everybody should do every now and again, just to kind of like take a minute and go, actually, do I really want to be on this uh, on this wheel yeah. or on this on this route? Yeah. That's happened a couple of times. And then I've had to take a very conscious decision to go, well, what is next? And even if I don't, I'm not 100% clear on what that is, I know it's not the current path. So yeah. I know that, you know, I'll try something else and maybe that's not it. And I'll try something yeah. else until I find my new path and the new direction. And and what's your criteria for making those decisions? Good question. I would, number one, am I happy, you know, yeah. right here and right now? Because if you're not, well, that's a pretty big sign that something's yeah. not quite right. When I remember the one time I was looking at it and I would look at the people who were further along that path. And I'd look at them and I'd go, do I want to be sat in their shoes? What's their job like? And I'd go spend some time with them and you know talk to them and find out what, what they were doing. So kind of gather research and information and then kind of say, well, would I enjoy doing that? Do I want to be sat in those in, in that seat? And and that's really, really my kind of the route that I was taking. And then when it came to choosing a new path, it would be about, well, Number one, not only do I, what do I enjoy, but actually what haven't I tried? Mm-hmm. So what would challenge me? What would would be valuable for a potential new end goal? So for me, uh, it was always around about, I, I studied history at university, but I went and trained as an accountant because I knew that that would be valuable in the business world. And then from there, I went into technology because I understand data and finance but actually, if I then made a conscious effort to understand technology, then I really would understand the key tenants that you need to run a business with. So some of those key levers. So yeah. they were my, my directions. From the Olympics, from that Olympic race 2010, the biggest kind of lesson I learned from that um, was to go with my gut feeling. So I learned that, so the the few weeks before the Olympic Games, we were in a holding camp in Lake Placid and I was being asked to use some brand new runners. So the runners on the sled are like tires on a car and they have a different knife cut into them like the tread of of a tire. And we had designed our own as as a nation. They were brand new, you know, hot, literally hot out of the science labs. The science and the stats said these should be the fastest runners. You've got to use them. Uh, they were designed specifically for that track. And I tried them in Lake Placid. And we went to Lake Placid because the design of the track was quite similar. High G-force, fast, tough corners. And I crashed really badly. And that was like, the first crash I'd had for years. You know, I, I bent my sled a bit. I broke my helmet. It really shook me up. And I remember crying down the phone to my parents, just being like, I don't want to use them. I don't want to use them. It's two weeks time to the Olympics. I can't hurt myself. And and I was so upset by it, but yet felt was very pressurized into having to use them because of the, the money, the research and development that had gone into it. And it's the only big, massive decision that when we got to Olympics, I just popped my foot. And for the 
for the first time in my whole life was like, be brave, say no. My gut says no. I am not going on the fastest track in the world at the Olympic Games when I know I can win a medal and use this equipment that I'm not used to. And even though the paper and the stats said it's quicker, I don't know how to use it. So I think that was the biggest lesson of I am going to disappoint everyone in the team and the thousands of pounds, but my gut says no. And 100%, I know if I used them, I would have crashed and I would not. I, I just wouldn't have won, won a medal. And I think from that, um, I've, I've used that every day. So whether or not, I mean, even only a few months ago, a massive opportunity doing filming with um, a, a big electrical car company. And I did one tester pilot and I was like, you know, sheets and sheets of paper and facts and scripts to learn. And the stress of that when two small children running a business and all the rest of it. And, you know, and I did it for the day and I was like, okay, the money's great. This is great. It's exposure. It's all these things that you want to get your face out there. And deep down, my gut said, nay, Amy, this isn't for you. You know, the panic and the stress of learning scripts that I know for me, I'd have to take days to learn. You know, and I just thought, no, I've got to be brave here. Even though family and members are around you saying, do it, you're stupid, do it, do it. I just thought, no, I can't. My gut says no, listen to that gut decision. And I think that's always a tough one when you maybe have got peers, you know, people who you're fighting for, for jobs, for faces, you know, to keep your face out there, to keep the jobs coming. And I, yeah, I still come down to the biggest lesson that I teach young people, young kids or anything is actually for me, yeah, that gut feeling. And and like Louisa said, that happiness. You know, mm. the Olympics, I finally got to this really happy place and realised I only perform when I'm happy. That's the best performance I've ever given is when I'm happy. Okay, don't get me wrong, you're, you're really nervous and all the rest of it. But when you're happy inside and I think... Yeah, life's too short. Just be happy with everything that you do. And um, yeah, I think that's my, my kind of biggest two lessons that I learned myself. It's, it's totally fascinating hearing that journey and, and those key decisions in these key moments. And we often talk about, especially, I mean, that you're talking about a leadership role, both in terms of leading yourself, but also essentially leading a nation in terms of, you know, when you won that gold medal, you're the only gold medalist in the whole of the, the British Olympic team. Hundred, well, tens of millions of pounds went into to that one gold medal. So you are absolutely a leader. But isn't it fascinating that we would describe it as you're leading up to that moment, you're in threat state, which is, you know, all of a sudden, you know, the anxiety is high, you're kind of rigid, you're, you're kind of just not in the right place, huge amounts of stress going through your body until you find a way to actually kind of get that control back again and go into what we would describe challenge state, um, where you're calm, you're confident, you know about the decisions that you're about to make, you're able to be more creative and adjust to the scenario. And I'd be fascinated to hear, you know, when you were able to kind of make that shift from that kind of threat state to, oh, I don't want to do this, to, no, I'm going to make the decision. And now what I would describe in in, um, challenge state how did your team respond? Yeah, um, well, not great to begin with. I yeah. won't lie. Yeah, I mean, 
it was so hard because, I mean, the sled that I was on was a prototype sled. You know, we'd only been using it the year before. We'd only just started building and making our own sleds. It was a prototype. I mean, after those Olympics, the designs completely changed. We had McLaren Technologies coming involved. And, you know, throughout the years and the last, what, 10 years since I retired, you know, competed um yeah i mean a totally different ball game and as you can imagine yeah. it's like your formula one technology changes so much but yeah. at that moment in time you know it it was huge and the pressure on me to have to use this brand new equipment that so much you know research development had gone into and the pressure that we knew we had to win a medal either yeah. from the females or the males from vancouver to keep our sport alive you know, we knew if we didn't bring home, didn't matter what colour, but one medal, the sport would be axed. You know, we all hear about how we all have to perform and get the medals, otherwise sports get knocked off and no longer exist. So, you know, that was a huge amount of pressure on all of us as a team. And then obviously for you, you're like, well, and I think what it came down to is just, this is my chance. I am the one standing on that start line. I am the one standing at the most dangerous track in the world with speeds that are the fastest that have ever been reached. And the biggest crunch point was, um, very sadly, a luge athlete died the few days before our race in, um, in a training run. And, you know, it, it was absolute freak accident, but it was down to, you know, he, he wasn't as experienced, didn't have the same amount of coaching. And it was just, yeah, the fastest track in the world. And it, it kind of just really shook our whole um, community. You know, we're one massive family, you know, any sport knows your, your best friends are the Germans, the Americans, the Canadians, the Aussies, you know, your best friends are those, your competitors around you. And I think the fact that this luge athlete had died, um, it just made me again think, you know what, this is my destiny. You know, I haven't put my blood, sweat and tears every day for, well, the four years, but really eight years, 10 years since doing the sport. And I think it just made me think for this one moment, I'm not going to conform and yeah. do what I'm being pushed to do. I have to do what I need to do. Yeah. yeah. And Louise, I'm sure you've perhaps been in that position a few times, you know, in, in the hot seat, having to make big calls and, and different people advising you to go in different directions. I, I was saying, say, never life or death like that. So um, I, I could never uh, ex- imagine what that feels like. That's um, that's quite incredible. I, I yes, I mean, I I always say I'm not making, I'm not doing my job, I'm not doing it well if I'm not making tough decisions, and if I'm not staying up at night because I'm worried about the decision I'm making. And they generally, those really tough ones generally are about people and about, you know, maybe that's individuals or teams or a direction of travel that's going to impact people. We're, we actually, we have 300 people. So we're not a very big company. Uh, we've got a big brand, but a small, small base. And we're all based in, in South Wales. And it's very important to me that I can walk down the street when we're allowed to walk down the street, uh, take my kids to the play park and I'll see members of my team and I'll see their families. And it's very important to me that I can look their partner in the eye and I can look at their kids and go, well, whatever I've decided, I've done my absolute best by you. And and that's a really important thing. And And sometimes, like in Amy's situation, that's making a decision that on the face of it might not be very popular. But actually, you know, deep down, it's the right thing for the medium and long term uh, future of you know, for Amy, the sport, for, for me, my business, and therefore everybody who works in it. 
and mm. and they're the they're the tough ones when you're making a decision where you think this isn't going to be very popular um but actually i know it's the right thing to do and then you need to come out of it and communicate clearly i always sense check things with my team around me you know uh, my my husband and you know, your team isn't just the people that you're working with it, it's people that you have in your life that you you respect and you trust and uh, you know, if I sense check things and I feel that it's definitely the right way forward, that's what I'll do. What is it that you do to kind of almost be that kind of the leader that you want to be without falling into any of the kind of um, the, the, the traps that so many leaders do fall into? It's a very uh, focused, proactive, kind of conscious thing that I do so it's not that I just turn up and you I am I am me I'm, I'm thinking how do I build the very best team around me because I know that by only having the very best team will I then have the very best company and so it's a very very conscious approach that I take to it and I don't get it right all the time and I know that so it, again it's something that I'm forever kind of iterating and thinking about and how do I get better so at the end of the day analyzing actually, you know what, I did that meeting and, you know, on hindsight, I think I could get a better performance out of that person. I could make more of their talent if I'd have done this instead. And and you just learn from that. And it, it's a very individual thing how you lead people. So you're leading individuals, you know, and you're inspiring and motivating individuals. And then you're leading a, a team, like a small team, and then a, a wider team as well. And they all require different types of leadership, different elements that you're kind of pulling on and drawing on. And each individual is different. Each team is different. And so I, I, I love it. I'm fascinated by it. I'm fa- you know, for me, this is what I'll sit and read books about, what I'll, you know, I'll watch, I'll listen to podcasts, I'll, you know, I'll watch talks, because this is what excites me and interests me. And have you had any, um, any moments or, or things that you've done that were kind of like light bulb things that slightly changed the direction of your leadership style or observing someone and going that's incredible if I could be a bit like that I'd love that all the time all the time which is is great like I'm forever kind of borrowing and taking on new things I I remember like all moments when I was much younger and I would see how other leaders around me were behaving and I would kind of puzzle over it sometimes and go god why are they doing that because that's making me feel terrible so you know I don't want to perform anymore for them so for if from being led to them being a leader and forever trying to uh, take those kind of moments and those light bulb moments I think it's really important especially right now to get inspiration from lots of different places and it's become much harder a job of a CEO is obviously running the company but to do that part of your role is to actually be out there and bringing new things and new ideas and you get that through a lot of uh, chance encounters or you're know, turning up at different events and that's much harder to do yeah. uh, because we're all confined to our homes and and yeah. those those moments so you have to pro you have to identify that you you recognize that and then you go and find a new way to fix your problem and mm-hmm. and for me this is a perfect example of doing that because I'm getting to hear direct from an amazing woman like Amy about you know her life and and that for me will be inspiring and I'll take elements of that and then I'll share that and I'll I'll use that the way I I'll lead others and and both of you are you know have throughout your lives actually you know constantly been going towards those boundaries seeking the new opportunities you know uh, finding different paths Amy what what's what's your latest 
kind of new opportunity that you're seeking? Where are you going and, and what kind of skills and gaps are you having to fill to, to be able to reach that, that new place? Yeah, I mean, I guess that the latest is where I'm sat right now in my in my home gym. So, uh, yeah, I think sort of when I when I stopped skeleton and retired, um, you know, for however many years, it was just like, right. Yeah. Take it. Say yes to everything, whether it was a, a TV show. Yeah. Commentating on the Olympics for BBC Sport, which, you know, was a massive thing to have that microphone, you know, with BBC yeah. Sport around it. Woo. Yeah. Um, yeah so. Uh, Anything like that, doing corporate business talks, going into companies, you know, one day could be in a school, next day could be in a, yeah, 500 people in a, in a huge big company. Or the day after, you could be at home twiddling your fingers thinking, oh, really need to do something for myself properly. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it was throughout my athletics career, I was like, I really should probably get myself qualified properly. And, you know, I had a, a sports performance degree which at the end of the day still doesn't really mean anything. And I thought then, right, let's get myself personally, at least get my personal qualifications for training, uh, my PT training. And I've always wanted to kind of help other people use at least my skill um, that I've had from, you know, doing sport and, and yeah, making other people feel good. So September uh, 2000, uh, 2020, last year, um, set up my own business, finally uh, transformed our, our, my double garage at home into a lovely uh, gym. And yeah, set up, got, to begin with, you know, quite a small amount of clients. I fit it around being a full-time mum to the little ones. So it's only when they're in nursery can I, you know, PT. And now it's obviously all on Zoom. So I yeah. miss my clients being in here. But even, you know, day to day, it's getting those messages from my clients saying, oh, my goodness, I've lost this amount of weight or I feel great or, you know, I've hit these PBs in my in my strength. Mm. And, you know, those little things, yes, yeah, seeing their confidence grow, seeing them change and whether that is a mum of three kids who's finally got back into her pre-pregnancy genes or, you know, whether I'm working with now a, a budding Ironman, half um, marathon, you know, he does absolutely everything crazy and he wants to now improve his strength. So, right, okay, I'm writing you, uh, you know, a training program online that you can be doing. So I think mm. that's the sort of big thing. Um, and then, yeah, I've kind of thrown myself into probably stupidly agreeing to write a book. <laughs> oh, why at the start of the very first lockdown back in March did I think it would be a really good idea to finally write my book? Um, but again, I never got round to it after the Olympics. And I, I thought, same thing, I've got all this knowledge that I can pass on to young athletes to, to help them, tips, lessons about that high performance, about everything that we're really talking about here and, yeah. you know, those setbacks and injuries and teamwork and coaches and feedback and all the stuff that you need to, yeah, have an awareness if you want to make it big in your sport. Louise, well, like, what is it that you're kind of aspiring towards? You know, personally, we know that um, as things stand, there's all sorts of things happening with, with the business. But you personally, where are you um, kind of venturing to next? So for me, I kind of set, when I took over as CEO for Confused.com, I had a number of kind of key objectives. I won't, I won't say what they all are out, out um, in the real life, if that's okay. But two down, one to go is kind okay. of my, um, my my ratio after three years, which I think is not too bad on a, on a hit rate. 
And so I've still got a lot more I want to do um, in confused.com as a business. And then separately, I, for me, I'm really, really passionate. I, I recognize, maybe it's because I've got young daughters uh, as well. It's kind of reinforced that, but I recognize that there aren't many female leaders in, in fintech. And so I've got to use that platform because I've got to get out there. I've got to, I've got to talk to, to, to people so that they, they, women, female, you know, young girls, they recognize there are fantastic opportunities here and kind of pave the way for people to come, to come after me. And so I do a lot of work, you know, maybe that's, um, I'm, I founded FinTech Wales, which brings FinTechs together. I'm on the InsureTech board. So I do those types of things to try and just highlight what's going on. We've got a skills gap in technology, which we have a potential to attract lots of women into STEM to start filling that gap. So it makes business sense as well as appealing to me and my my personal ambitions. For sure. And sticking in that kind of future state where we like to hang out a lot, um, we talk a lot about identity as one of the really key components of confidence and resilience and all the good stuff around high performance. And for that, us, it's sort of purpose, values, your beliefs, everything that's sort of shaped you. But really importantly, thinking about, as you mentioned, Louise, okay, this if I stay here with this identity and this purpose and I kind of know where I'm going to end up in five years, 10 years. And is that where I want to be? And I totally agree that not many people ask themselves that question. So in that vein, if you were, you guys have kind of both described what might be your core values through what you've been talking about, you know, how you've motivated yourself, like how you want to turn up. If I was to say to you in two years time, what would be an aspirational value? And by that, I mean, if you were to be described in two years time in a word, that you couldn't be described as right now, what might that word be that you would think, oh, that's incredible. I can't believe that someone is choosing to describe me like that. One word? No, I don't know. I mean, inspiring. I think I find that quite a big word that once I won that medal and the medal was put around your neck, you just didn't realize that overnight you became this figure. Yeah, yeah, that you were young athletes were looking up to you. Anyone was looking up to you. That didn't mm. even kind of like, you didn't consider that beforehand. Yeah. And I think it was only in that I, I had, you go through the media zone and Claire Bolden's there asking me the questions and sort of telling you you're on the history books. And yeah, you've got every kid and every school wanting you to go in. And I think that's a big word that suddenly made me feel really proud, really proud to be British, really kind of realising that medal is inspiring for other people. And do you believe that about yourself? Do you believe you're inspirational? Um, It's funny because, no, I would never, you know, I'd never say that, but that's that real shy side of me that, you know, oh, thanks, you know, you kind of like hide away from any niceties, don't you? But yeah, I guess now I, I probably more that I am um, confident and my confidence has grown within myself over the mm. last 10 years. Uh, then, yeah, I guess, yeah, if I look back at myself, I think, yeah, you know what? I think I am pretty inspiring. So, yeah, right. I guess I do believe it. Nice. And how about you, Louise? I guess it would be it would come back to uh, being a leader because I do believe that uh there are there are ways to to lead wherever you are in whatever role you don't have to have hierarchy for it uh it's about the way that you behave and the way you treat others 
and the way that they respond to that. And for me, it would it it would be more of that in whatever walk of life I'm in at that point. I'm struck and reminded by this um, YouTube uh, video I watched a couple of days ago, and it was this incredible composer, classic uh, classical music composer. His name, I've just uh, got it up in front of me, Ben Zander. He does this amazing 14-minute video. I, I'm, I'm going to put it up, uh, attach it to the, this podcast, and I'm definitely going to share it with you guys. And he says, as a leader, um, he does nothing himself because he just waves a wand. He makes no music whatsoever. Um, but he knows he's been really successful by counting one thing, and it's not his bank balance. It's the number of shiny eyes that he's able to create. You know, really being able to kind of get people's eyes twinkling, whether it's in the orchestra or um, in the audience or beyond. Like, how, how do you measure success as, as a leader? And um, Louise, I'm going to come to you first. How, how do you know that you are doing a good job? For me, it's about uh, the results of the company are the evidence. But for me, it's about how we achieve those results. And the results of Confused.com over the last few years since I took over are absolutely exceptional. They're, they're incredible. And the thing that I'm most proud of is the fact that during that time as well, we, we measure staff happiness. We measure, God, we measure everything, but you know, we, we measure staff happiness. And, and these surveys, the, the improvement year on year are unheard of. You know, they're just, people are just so, so much happier. And I think for me, that has been able to prove that if people love what they do, they will absolutely do it better. So it's the fact that uh, all, all leaders in businesses are generally measured on their financial results. That is the nature of, of our, uh, our, our world. But the fact that we've achieved that with our staff getting huge it's so much happier so much more motivated engaged it's being able to demonstrate that link and I think that that for me is how I measure the success and Louise with your you mentioned there around um that sense of of sort of well-being happiness within the your employees sort of continually going up how much of that is um the environment you've created and how purposefully have you guys tried to kind of create that engagement or the connection between employees and what you're trying to achieve for example it's usually been a proactive decision to invest in our people invest in the environment invest in in the culture invest and and it's everything from uh, the communication of you know this is our core purpose and it's a very motivating purpose it's about writing an imbalance of power and I'm a big I, I get very frustrated when I see things that are unfair and so it's a really really strong motivational purpose through to the fact that um, it's, it's supporting them throughout every aspect of their life you know be that you know if they're if they're a new parent or if you know forbid, but you know somebody gets ill in their family you know we're, we're there to support them throughout to the fact that you know they have all the support they need to get their job done they they have opportunities to develop and train. So it's it's everything. It's a very, very conscious approach to say, let's let's take the everybody's life cycle, so to speak, yeah. and support them in every way we can as a company. Uh, support our local community, support, you know, our employees. You know, for for me it, it's a very, very conscious thing to say that it we're not just it's not a pure revenue and profit game. 
It is about how we can make the world a better place from us being in it and how can we do that. And that in turn means that our employees are better people for having worked with us. And whilst they're working with us, they have produced better results. Mm. Yeah. And it sounds like a real triple win as well. So, you know, the individual is winning, the, the team environment is winning, but also there's this kind of net gain to society that you've clearly been able to, to balance. Absolutely. Yeah, 100%. And I, 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 I truly believe in it. And it, it goes through to things like we have, you know, all of all of our business since um, because our staff, you know, we talked to them and said, do you want this? You know, so we're, we've been carbon neutral you know, since we launched now. We've kind of gone back and we've made sure that everything's offset. Their personal carbon, you know, we, we work with them to say, how do we reduce it and offset it? You know, and you'd look at that and you'd go, what's that got to do with a comparison site? But it, it, yeah. it's more about recognizing look, we're, we're here forever. We're, you know, yeah. we're a family and let's let's think about our impact on every aspect of, of what we do. Isn't it amazing that uh, in sport we're having this huge debate at the moment around uh, is it about performance or is it about well-being? And, you know, it's almost like there's this kind of choice to be made, this dichotomy, one or the other. Um, and there's a few us in the, of us in the middle going, um, what about it's an and game? Amy, I, I'd love to hear... Like, how do you measure success? So you're this incredible kind of inspiring, you've said it out loud, so you have to be it now, um, person. You're, you know, you're, an, you're about to be an author, a published author. You're, you know, completely changing the lives of your clients as a PT. Um, how do you measure success? Oh, crikey. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I'm looking at my own little um, symbol, which you can see behind me. And I've got in my gym, I, my, my three key words of when I was bringing this business together was fitness, lifestyle and performance. Because I wanted to bring together everything to do with wellness and strength and health and and everything that's important that kind of comes together. So yeah, I do truly believe um, you need everything. You need a little bit of everything. And if you put everything into a pie chart, you know, everything has to be nice and even in that pie chart to to have all of those things. Um, yeah, so I guess I, I probably have performed in my sport when I was unhappy. I have still managed to get the results, but did I enjoy it? No. You know, mm. at the Olympics, I managed to find both to perform and to be happy and to realize what is the point of doing all of this unless I'm enjoying it and being happy. Well, it's been a, a huge privilege to be able to, to hear um, about how you guys have been able to, to find your way uh, to where we are today. And um, we often talk about this kind of concept of winning well. Like obviously winning's important, but doing it well is is perhaps more important. And certainly our experience tells us that those that are, are able to find that kind of winning well uh, basis are able to do it not just once, not just twice, but consistently able to find new and different ways to, to be successful. Um, before I hand over to Catherine and put her on the spotlight about, you know, reflecting on what she's taken uh, from this session, I'd love to hear from you both. Like, what is what's the one thing that you've heard from um, each other, or what's the one thing that's kind of re-reminded you uh, that is allow you is going to allow you to do something differently as a result of having this conversation today? And, and Amy, I'm going to 
threw it to you to begin with. What's, what's the thing that you've kind of really taken from this conversation? Oh, I think Louise is just amazing. You know, what a woman. And I kind of, I know I'm going to re-listen to this podcast, actually, because you're kind of listening in and then you're more concerned about what you're going to, you know, what answers <laughs> I'm going to give when you ask me. So you're like, oh, I know I listened to that and now it's disappeared. But no, I think, you know, the biggest thing, um, you know, you, yeah, you're, you're so strong and confident and forward going and you know exactly what you want. But I think underneath it, you still have this massive kindness and, you know, the, the care that you have for everyone that works for you or you have any involvement in is really clear. And I think mm. we all know it does come down to that human kindness and compassion. And it doesn't matter if you're the head of a giant company. Yeah, I think that's what, um, you know, that real hum humanity that you've got still for everyone within your company and you've still done incredibly well. Um, I think that's... That's really lovely to see. Thank you. Um, Louise. Well, I love Amy's transformation, which I'm not sure whether she, she particularly picked up on, but the fact that you kind of described how before, you know, you, you'd won your gold medal, that you wouldn't kind of like say boo, you know, you wouldn't kind of stand up. And, and then this, this moment where you had to be so, so brave. And it reminded me of the fact that there are moments where we do have to be super, super brave and stand out on a limb. And I remember how scary those moments are. And I think that was just a wonderful you know, reminder from Amy about that and just that transformation, the fact that you have gone. And I think that's actually, it's it's really important. My, my Unfortunately, my father is, is not very well. And I did one of those questions to him, you know, what, you know, what do you think about your life? And and he actually said it's about where you start to where you end and it's how far you've traveled. And I think actually what Amy uh, was describing there is just how far she has traveled. And the fact now that she looks out and she thinks, well, I can do all these different things, you know, and you're trying lots of different things and you're doing lots of different things and you just you've achieved so much. And I just think that story of, of transformation and how far you've traveled, I think is just it's fantastic. Amazing. Catherine, what have you taken? I think it's so interesting doing these because, you know, we get names and we're like, we think this might work. You know, it's, they've got some parallels in the stories, etc. And it's always fascinating how, you know, how actually under all of it, there's a, as you were saying, Amy, there's a degree of humanity or just humanness that connects people. And there's some similarities and moments where you could see you guys going yeah okay I recognize that that feels familiar to me like I, I I've been there um, and those moments are just what makes this super special because um, I think there's so many um, ways that you could describe what it takes to win and it can seem this you know very sort of straight trajectory and as you guys have described it it's this beautiful um, never-ending um, but purposeful search if you know what you're really looking to achieve. And what I heard from you guys was about happiness and about bravery, but with vulnerability and about compassion and qualities that I think can be easily um, forgotten in the world that certainly from a sporting and, and high performing business environment. So I've loved exploring those parts with you. So thank you very much. Yes, thank you both. And um, it, it's been, as I said before, a real privilege to have you both and, and just how open and um, uh, vulnerable you both were. So thank you so much. Um, and thank you to those who are listening. Um, that's a, another uh, episode of What Does It Take to Win? And we look very much forward to the next one coming your way soon. Thanks, guys. <laughs>